some stories have more than one story to tell. And I think this morning that we just heard in the gospel reading is a good example of one of those stories. On one hand, it's a story about wise men offering Jesus the best that they have. Certainly that is a story about stewardship, about offering our best gifts to Jesus as an act of worship. On the other hand, it's a story about two kings, King Herod and King Jesus, and about how the birth of a little baby and all that he represents poses a threat to the powers that be. It's a story that asks us, which king will we serve? It's also a story about God's welcome of outsiders, about pagan Gentiles from another land receiving and responding to God's invitation to seek out and to worship Christ. In fact, in the fact that these men were likely from what we know today as Iraq and Iran, Saudi Arabia, the story challenges us to rethink who it is that God welcomes into God's family. And it challenges us to widen our embrace to include even those we consider our enemies. The challenge for the preacher is deciding which story to tell. This morning I have felt drawn to tell a story about a journey, or journeys, about seekers who have embarked on journeys that take them far from home as they seek to follow the light. And thanks to Shirley and Edna, this light is beautifully represented for us on the table set before us this morning. The seekers in Matthew's story are wise men, literally magoi, or magi in Greek, a word that is often translated throughout the New Testament as magicians or sorcerers. Here they appear to be astrologers, perhaps court priests in their homelands. And as such, they are seekers. The job of these astrologers is to be attentive to realities beyond that which they can see and hear and smell and taste and touch. Their calling is to search for divine purpose and meaning beyond the concrete or behind the concrete events of everyday life. Their search moves their gaze to the stars, to the heavens. There, they believe, they will find the answers that they're looking for. There, they believe, the stars will reveal the secrets that they are longing to know. This longing to know, this desire to see and to understand persists in the human spirit, even today. While we probably don't know any persons who fit the exact profile of these wise men from the East, we probably do know persons who are seeking, seeking to understand, seeking to find meaning and purpose, seeking to discover what God is up to in our confusing world. Today's seekers look like, well, they look like you or me. 
or Natasha, Warren, and Carl. Natasha is a 20-year-old student at a church-related college. She's just returned from a cross-cultural term in the Middle East. And while she says that this experience has been one of the highlights of her life, she also acknowledges that it's left her with a lot of questions. Before this experience, she decided to be a music major. But now, now she wonders, why am I shutting myself up in a practice room for minimally two hours every day when injustice is raging through this world? Should I change the focus of my life to something more practical, she thinks, to something that can help me engage more directly with these issues? Underneath it all is an even more disturbing question for her. Is music a luxury? Is it relevant in a world where so many people are simply struggling to survive? Natasha also wonders about faith. She grew up in a fine Christian home in a nurturing congregation like this one, where she was baptized as a teenager. But now so many things that she grew up accepting as truth, as foundational for her faith, no longer make sense. In light of her experience in the Middle East, she especially wonders, where, where is God in the midst of all this suffering? If God is all-powerful and all-loving, wouldn't God do something about it? I mean, doesn't God hear and answer our prayers? Is God really there? And if God is really there, is it really true that the only way to God is through Jesus? I mean, what about all the kind and loving Muslim and Jewish folks that she had met along the way? These questions are very disturbing for Natasha because they call into question the foundation of her faith. And if that foundation cracks and breaks apart, what will be left for her to build on? Then there's Warren. At age 65, Warren is old enough to be Natasha's grandfather. Sadly, within the last year, Warren suffered a debilitating stroke, one that partially paralyzed his left side, slurred his speech, and impaired his cognitive functioning. As a result, he struggles with depression. He wonders, why me? Why did God let this happen? Why didn't God just let me die? The people around him are hurting too. His family and friends, they ask themselves, can there be any purpose in this suffering? And then there's Carl. Carl, age 40, is a husband and a father to two lively children. But these days, he doesn't have much energy for them. His work at a local business is consuming him. 
He routinely works overtime, 50 to 60 hours a week, and when he finally does get home, he has a hard time getting out from under the heaviness that he brings with him from work. At least he's being paid well. He's managed to provide his family with a very nice home in an attractive neighborhood and with two beautiful cars to get around in, and his children wear nice clothes, and they have all the latest electronic gadgets, and his job appears to be secure, even in, in the midst of this economic downcline, decline. The picture from the outside looks rosy. But underneath it all, Carl wonders, is this all there is? Hard work to build a career, never-ending responsibility, chronic dissatisfaction which leads to a constant striving for more. Natasha, Warren, Carl are searching. For what? They're not sure, but I suspect they're waiting for an epiphany. Epiphany. We mainly hear that word this time of year at church. Today, as you can see, is Epiphany Sunday. And, but what does that word mean? Well, you can look it up in the dictionary, as I did, and you'll find there that it is a Christian festival on January 6th, which is this very day, commemorating the light revealed to the whole world in Jesus. In common usage, it is an appearance or manifestation of God or a sudden intuitive perception or insight into reality, often initiated by a simple, commonplace occurrence. In Matthew's story this morning, the wise men, in the midst of all their waiting and all their watching, receive an epiphany. It comes in the form of a star, language that they as astrologers can understand. The star tells them that something is happening, that a very important king has been born. But the star does more than simply reveal this secret. It beckons them to, to come and to see that which they have been waiting for all their lives. And so the wise men leave the comfort and security of their homes and they set out on a journey toward the light. In the meantime, Natasha, Warren, and Carl experience their own epiphanies. For Natasha, it happens one night while she is sleeping. She's had a grueling day. She's been pouring herself into her studies to keep from thinking about all the unsettled issues in her life. But still, the questions just keep swirling round and round and round in her mind, and finally, exhausted, she falls into bed. And as she drifts off into a troubled sleep, she begins to dream. However... Instead of unsettling her, as dreams with troubled sleep often do, this dream soothes her. It is calm and it is peaceful 
and it is full of light. And in this dream, she comes to understand that one day she will become a seminary student and perhaps even a pastor. Natasha woke up laughing. Her? A pastor? Given the state of her faith, that did not seem like a likely possibility. Yet, she couldn't shake the sense of peace and tranquility and light that even upon waking had settled into her being. Warren's epiphany came one day as he was flipping through his Bible. Somehow he landed in the book of Lamentations of all places. There he noticed the prophet Jeremiah lamenting his own affliction as well as the suffering of his people whose city had been razed to the ground. It's not exactly the kind of reading that cheers you up. At least not until you get to chapter 3. And there in chapter 3, Warren stumbles over these verses. The thought of my affliction is wormwood and gall. In other words, very, very bitter. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Warren read these verses. He stopped. And he read them again. And a new thought occurred to him, an epiphany. Perhaps it is possible to deeply lament one's pain while still affirming the essential goodness of God. Carl's epiphany came as he lay in a hospital bed awaiting tests. He'd been having chest pains and shortness of breath, and now he'd been admitted for further testing. How are you feeling? His wife asks him. Fine, he replies. But deep inside, he knows that he is afraid. Afraid not so much of the procedures that are going to be done to him, but afraid of what his symptoms might mean. No, it might be nothing. It might not be his heart. It might just be stress. But the truth of the matter stares him in the face. That he's going to die. Maybe not today and maybe not tomorrow, but probably sometime before he is ready. And he certainly isn't ready now. And there on that hospital bed, he is given a vision of all the important things that he has left undone. The hugs that he hasn't given his kids, and the stories that he hasn't read them. 
the heart-to-heart -heart conversation with his wife that he hasn't found time for, the spiritual emptiness within that he has simply been ignoring. And he vows then and there that when he gets up off that bed, things are going to be different. He will refocus his life around those things that are truly most important. And thus began the journey toward the light for Natasha, for Warren, for Carl, and for the wise men. The journey for the wise men must have been a long one, over the desert, on foot, or maybe by camel, as tradition has it. And when they grew weary, I suspect it was that star and the hope to which it pointed that kept them going yet another day. We only hear about one time when they really got lost. They end up in Jerusalem at the royal palace, no doubt a logical place to look for a king. And there they have a rather strange encounter with a king, King Herod to be exact. It was odd. It was so odd. He didn't seem to know anything about this new king. And he seemed quite disturbed by this inquiry. I'm sure these wise men wondered, I mean, had they followed a false trail? Had they come all this way for nothing? The journey toward the light sometimes involves bumps wrong turns, and detours. Natasha hit a bump when she visited a church one day and heard the pastor say that doubt is a seed planted in one's heart by Satan. She began to wonder, is church for people like me? Or is it only for people who have all the answers? Warren nearly took a wrong turn after a family reunion where he was told by well-meaning relatives who care about him deeply and who really love him that, well, these things are just a part of God's plan. They happen so that God can get through to us. And if you just prayed harder, maybe you could get rid of your depression. With all that good advice, Warren went home quite confused and very discouraged. Carl hit a detour about a month after he came home from the hospital. He'd been given a clean bill of health. It seems that his chest pains and shortness of breath were a result of stress. And that was the wake-up call that he needed. It was time to reorder his life it was time to find ways to manage the pressure before it managed him. But when he got back home and back to work and faced the same old pressures, Carl gradually slipped back into old patterns, and he began to wonder if the new patterns he was considering were really doable. Thankfully, bumps, wrong turns, detours, don't have to derail the journey toward the light. 
With a little help from Herod's cronies, the wise men soon got redirected and onto the right path, where they found the star as bright as ever, waiting to lead them to their king. Natasha began to recover from her bump on the day that it occurred to her, well, maybe my doubts and questions aren't pulling me away from faith, but leading me toward a deeper one. Warren got back on track the day he sat down and wept. As he acknowledged all the things that he had lost, he was overcome with a great sadness, and the tears began to flow. But the tears didn't pull him down into a deep abyss as he had feared. Instead, they soothed him and gently loosened the grip of the anger and the bitterness that had been lodged deep within. Carl found his way back one evening after his little girl crawled into his lap and said, Dad, won't you please put me to bed tonight? And after his son said, Dad, do you think you could teach me to throw a curveball? And after his wife said, I love you, Carl, and I just want you to know that as far as I'm concerned, your health and your well-being is far more important than any job. Their words somehow gave him the courage to recommit himself to his journey toward the light. Ultimately, The Magi seeking the light find what they are looking for. These wise men follow the light of the star persistently through challenge, and they find themselves kneeling before Jesus, their king. Is he everything they expect him to be? The story doesn't tell us, but it does say that They were overwhelmed with joy and that they worshipped him and they offered him their finest gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The stories of Natasha, Warren, and Carl don't have quite such definitive endings. Their stories are still in process. But they continue to follow the light that has been given them. And as they draw closer to it, it shines brighter and brighter in their lives. And as they journey, they find themselves offering their finest gifts, wisdom and perspective and compassion, gifts that bring light to others. In case you're wondering, Natasha, Carl, and Warren are fictitious characters. They are no one in particular that I know. Although, it may be true that some of us may find pieces of ourselves in them. And I hope so. Because the journey toward light is a sacred journey that we are each called to and that we as a congregation are called to as well. 
As we contemplate these stories and reflect on our own, I'd like to share this prayer by Charlene Sludge. And maybe, you know, as we pray, we often close our eyes. You may want to open your eyes and focus them on the light in front of me here. Will you pray with me? Where are you, pilgrims? Do you know? Once we were in familiar territory, but now God has called us out and away from home. We do not know where God is leading. We often wander about in our own land without bread, a roof, a map. And without a guide, we are not sure where to go. Do you see the light? Do you see it beckoning you forward, calling you away and home again? It is the light of God shining for you. Journeying God, pitch your tent with us so that we may not become detoured by unfamiliar landscapes and detours in the road. At every turn, we are blessed and contained by your ancient and steadfast love that continually and insistently sustains us. Through your word, give us strength to continue our pilgrimage, searching for your light to guide the way. Amen.